And uh, if you're visiting for the very first time, my name is Michael Williamson. I oversee, I serve the London International Christian Church. And uh, we are a, a band of fighting brothers right there. And uh, we just love the Lord and we want to do something about the state of how men are viewed in, in, in all of the world. And uh, I'm reminded of a, very, uh, a scripture here before we get in tonight's program in Revelation chapter 12. Of course, the book of Revelation is called the book of Revelation. It isn't the book of Revelations because there's only one revelation. I know we live in a society in a time where people think the word of God comes to them in dreams and all these strange things, but that's because they are not true biblical men of God. And here in the Bible it says in Revelation chapter 12 in verse, we pick it up in verse 10. He says, then I heard a loud voice in heaven. Now have come salvation and the power of the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ for the accuser of our brothers who accuses him before our God day and night. I mean, John right here just says, you know, Satan accuses you day and night, 24 hours. Says he's been hurled down. Says they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from a little girl at Sainsbury. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from a website, from a Google search. They didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from a job. You know, you need that job seeker's allowance before you really... No, it says they didn't love their lives so much as to shrink from death. <laughs> Therefore, rejoice you heavens and you who dwell in them. But woe to the earth and the sea. The devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury. He knows his time is short. And I know that we know our time is short as well. We are in a battle. Mm, yep. When I think of the word men, I think of the word confidence. I think of the word strength. I think of the word boldness. When I think of the word men, I think of the word integrity. When I think of the word men, I think of the word tough. I don't think of a, a man who spits out his mouthpiece right there. When I think of the word man, I think of a man who bites down on his mouthpiece. When I think of the word man, I think of love. I think of a man who, who's willing to die for something greater than his own desires. When I think of men, I see a sea of different colors and races and I see, a, I see an army and I see a family. See, I never had a family during some of the most challenging times in my life. You say, well, what happened to you? Well, I was abandoned. I was a homeless kid, 14 years old, two years on the streets. And all I could do was turn to God in prayer. And the powerful thing was that God answered those prayers years later. And I found a band of brothers willing to die for the very word that you're going to hear tonight. And I've been a sold-out disciple ever since. A true Christian. And I think that men are under attack. 
Anytime the most confident man is Caitlyn Jenner, we are in trouble. I don't say that to make fun. I just say that to lay out the truth. That we are men. You may not have had a father look you in the eye and tell you, I love you, son. You may not have had a father look you in the eye and say, you're going to be a great man someday. You're going to be greater than me. But let me tell you something. That's what Jesus Christ is saying to you tonight. You are special. Do you realize that you are the very answer to the world's problems? Do you realize that if there is a God, that Jesus Christ himself went on a mountain and called to him 12 men, not sisters. 12 men to change the world. Do you realize the creator of the earth says you have the solution. You have the most powerful thing in your hand. It's called the word of God. I love the men. Yeah, I, I love the men. Brains and brawn. <laughs> we, we got strong men. We got smart men. We got men that take you by surprise, like our brother Tom right there this Sunday. Did he not do an incredible job with his speech? He's going on the answer that mission team. We've got young men. We got a few of you out there. A few young men. That's not you, Mike. You're an old guy right there. But we got young men and old men. And tonight we want to inspire you that it's time for men to rise up and be the men of God. If Jesus died for you, that's awesome. But the, that's not the end of the story. He rose for you. So it's time for you to rise on up for Jesus Christ. Amen? Tonight's program is special. We've got four, no, we've got five men that have come to tell you a message that they've heard from God. We've got a man who's come all the way, hails from way down in America, Florida, Colby Gray, our evangelist for the West Region. He'll be preaching on men called by God. You know, men need to be tough. On the west side, there's a tough man of God over there. He was born in Lagos, but he lives in London now. He's a true Londoner. And Tosin is going to be speaking on men who are tough. The Bible says there's absolutely no such thing as an atheist. Even though you may believe you are one, you still believe in the principles that are created by God. You couldn't create them because you don't believe in anything if you believe in nothing. So you can't believe in nothing and have something. And yet we have a man who, sadly, at one stage believed in nothing. Atheism. And yet, he knew in his heart that there was a God. He was met. We studied the Bible with him. He not only got baptized, he gave up his job, became an intern in the church. And not only became an intern, he's overseeing the Birmingham International Christian Church. And he knows his Bible already. Luke Snow is going to be preaching on men who know the word. You know, you need one of those old veterans out there sometimes. One of those old crafty guys, you know. I love love, love boxers right there. Sometimes you get those crafty boxers that they pretend they're hurt and boom, then they knock you out. They pretend they're tired and boom, and they get you with an uppercut. They pretend that they're going to go in and they get you with this punch. Well, let me tell you something. We got one of of those fighters tonight. He's a fighting Irishman. Martin Scott is going to be preaching on men who move God. 
And it makes no sense if we do all of that preaching right there if we don't baptize men. It's no, it, it, what's the point if men don't renounce their sins and follow Jesus? And yet Tommy Wise come tonight. He will be leading the Amsterdam mission team at the end of this year. And he'll be sending a ray of light to that pool of darkness in Amsterdam. He'll be taking his wife and a mission team. Tommy Wise is going to be preaching on men who baptize men. Before we hear the word of God preached, I do believe we need one more song. If we could all rise at this particular time, we'll sing one song and we'll hear from our first speaker. I'll give a wrap up at the end and I pray tonight you listen for what God and the Holy Spirit has to say to you. Welcome again to the Men's Congregational Worship Service of the London International Christian Church. Bruce three or four, rise up, O men of God. <laughs> rise up, O men of God. Have done with nicer things. Give heart and mind and soul and strength to serve the King of Kings. Rise up, O men of God. His from God to men who are called by God. The Bible says in Galatians chapter 1, in verse 11, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it by any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my father. But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach among the Gentiles, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who are apostles before me, but I went into Arabia. Later, I returned to Damascus. Paul was a man called by God, and he tells the church in Galatians how he was called. You see, there are two callings in the world. There's the call of God and the call of man. The question is, which one are you waiting for tonight? You see, Paul, he was called by men. He was called by the high priests. He was called by the Sadducees. He was called by the Pharisees to do the work of Satan. 
He was called to destroy God's church. He was called more than anyone else. This was the calling that man had for Saul. And the thing is, he was living his calling. He was living the calling that he was given by men. But then, on the road to Damascus, he saw the lights. Jesus came and spoke to him and called him to do the work of God. And what happened? He accepted the call of God. So the question is, where does the call of God come from? I'll tell you, it comes from God. The call of God comes from God, and the call of man comes from man. You see, the thing is that so many people, they're like, where is the call of God? I'm waiting for the call of God. When is God going to speak to me? And you're not listening, because God is speaking to you. You're more concerned with what the world is speaking to you. You're more concerned with what other people, other men are saying to you. Paul says, hey, I didn't receive this message from men. I was called by God. I didn't have to go to speak to other men about this. I was called by God. My immediate response was to go to God. I think the reason why so many men today, they don't really see they're called by God is they're not listening to God. They're listening to men. And I think this has got to change. You see this in the world. People who understand their calling. Two fighters. Both of them come from the UK. Two different hearts, two very different callings. The first one is called by men. His name is Anthony Joshua. Anthony Joshua has the talents. He has the ability. But he doesn't have the hearts. Anthony Joshua listens to what everyone else says about him. Anthony Joshua said, oh, you're the champion. BT Sports, Sky, what, okay, what is everyone going to think? Eddie Hearn, who are these people going to say that I am? Okay, I, I guess I'm the champion if you say so. If you say I'm called to be the champion of the world, then I'm going to be the champion of the world according to what you say. And what happens when you follow the man, when you follow the call of God, when you get into a real fight with Satan, you get knocked out. When he finally had to take a stand for his calling because he didn't believe in it, he got knocked out. He got humiliated. And that's what happens when men go by the calling of man and pretend it's the calling of God. You can get away with that for a few months. You can get away with that for a few years. You can get away with it with a few of those easy fights, a few easy challenges. But then when the real challenge comes, when you get in the ring, you'll get knocked out. I think of another fighter. Different hearts, different calling. His name is Tyson Fury. Tyson Fury knows he is called to be the heavyweight champion of the world. Who told him? No one told him. He told the world. He went to Ukraine. He says, you're the heavyweight champion of the world, Klitschko. Not anymore. I am. I'm going to prove it to the world. Now what happens? He got called and then he got depressed. He took himself out. He sinned. And that can be some of us. We know the calling of God, but we take ourselves out with our sin. But the thing is, is that when you're called by God, the Bible says the call of God is irrevocable. And Klitschko, or sorry, uh, Fury, in his Ferrari, was about to commit suicide. And he realized, no, this is not my calling. This is not my destiny. This is not why I was put here. I was put here to be the heavyweight champion of the world. And so what did he do? He turned his car around. He got in the gym. He lost some weight. And he got back in the ring again. Some of us, we haven't been living up to our call. We know we're called by God, but we're a little depressed. 
we're a little overweight spiritually. Wow. And what that is, is that you know, the problem is not your calling, the problem is your sin. And so we need to repent, get back in the spiritual gym, lift some spiritual weights, get in some spiritual fights, and prove that we are called by God. See, the thing is about Tyson Fury is that he doesn't have any belts. But he doesn't matter. He knows that he is the heavyweight champion of the world. No one told him. He tells the world, this is who I am. See, we can't have people in the world that have a stronger calling than the people in the kingdom. We need to know that we are called by God. Tyson Fury has a purpose. His purpose is to fight people and to beat them up and to show that he is the biggest, baddest, toughest man in the world. That's his purpose here on earth. That's not my purpose. My purpose is to preach the word of God so that all men can uh, can be saved. To seek and save the lost. That's why I'm here. Don't be Anthony Joshua. Don't be someone who has the talent but not the hearts. Maybe you're struggling right now. Maybe you're a little overweight. Maybe you're a little depressed. It's time to stop wallowing in your sin and in your self-pity. I want to challenge you guys. Hear the call of God. God is speaking to you tonight. Seize your destiny. Live. Be the men of God. And to God be all the glory. Good evening, men. You know, I love all meetings of the body, but by far my favorite is the meeting with the men. Because you can be frank. There are no sisters here, so I can say exactly what's on my mind to men of God that will take it and change. Amen? Okay, so I've been called to speak on men who are tough. And I'm going to start by looking at the opposite. I'm going to look at a disease spreading around the world, none more so than in the UK today. It's a disease known as mollycoddle. Does anyone know what mollycoddle is? The noun definition of mollycoddle is a pampered or effeminate man or boy. The verb of mollycoddle is to treat someone with excessive or absurd degree of indulgence and attention. This is who, this is who the 21st century tells you it's okay to be as a man. I want to say to you, the men of God, that this is not okay. Most people today have conditioned themselves to take the easy way out. But not we, the men of God. Turn your Bibles with me to Acts 14, verse 19 to 22. So the scripture reads, Then some Jews from Antioch and Iconium won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So this is the first of Paul's missionary journeys. He made such a fuss in Pisidian Antioch and Iconium that they actually followed him to Derby, and then they beat him up. They stoned him. And now we, we read stoning and we think it's just something, something, something tough. But I want to show you stoning is one of the most gruesome and tough things you can experience as a man. Stoning 
stoning is what is to the process of stoning they take you outside the city walls they put you on a platform they push you on it onto rocks face first if you don't die from that you'll turn on your back and someone throws a large rock at your chest and then more people start throwing rocks at you so this is an intensely gruesome and painful ordeal so I asked myself what made Paul get up what empowered him to get up and go back into the place that they stoned him I'll tell you what Paul understood the sovereignty of God. Paul understood that there was sovereignty in his pain. I liken my relationship, I liken our relationship with God to a sports massage. You know a sports massage, you need someone to work on the soft areas, fast and heavy. That's what you need. And God is like a sports massage. It's painful, but it's one of the most effective, if not the most effective way to maintain and protect the body. And God focuses on the soft, mollycoddled areas of our lives. And he's more intense than the ordinary. Why? Because he wants to maintain and protect the body, the church. If he doesn't disciple you through life directly, he will disciple you through your disciples. He will disciple you through your employees. Why? Because he wants to make you tougher. Are you going to run away from it or are you going to accept it? Your experiences and your ability to rely on God and be tough through it will maintain and protect the church. Remember the church when you go through your experiences. God has caused or allowed you to go through tough experiences for a purpose. Without being tough through it, it won't happen. You need painful experiences to toughen you, to ensure that every single one of you is ready to defend and advance his kingdom. An inability, and I want, to, I want to tell you guys, an inability to show toughness as a man of God is disobedience of the highest order. You are actively choosing to negate the sovereignty of God in your life. And you're trying to defeat his purpose for your pain. This was me. I was mollycoddled. I ran away from the call of God at discipleship. I thought I was entitled to an easy life. And when I saw challenges, I wanted to run away and do things my own way. But God allowed me to suffer. God allowed me to go through painful experiences all in a month. But I thank God every day for it. I thank God because it drove me to his kingdom. It allowed me to gain the kingdom. And I now understand the purpose of my pain. I understand the purpose of my suffering. But do you guys? Do you guys understand what you go through? Do you see that it's for someone other than yourselves? I'm here to fight for the dream to evangelize the nations. Are you guys? Paul understood God's purpose for his life in his pain. If you look at verse 22, he says, it says, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom. They said, Paul is talking to them freshly stoned. They understood from his personal experiences that it's going to be tough, but it's going to be worth it. So, are you guys using your experience as a tool to strengthen, encourage and to win souls? Are you using it in a way to mollycoddle yourselves? To run away from the challenges? How, how do you view your experiences, men of God? I want to challenge you guys to change your view on hardship. Ease is the biggest obstacle to success, not pain. If you want an easy life, forget about success. If you want an easy life, forget about doing anything credible in life. Stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about who your challenges will impact. This generation doesn't want to accommodate men like us. They don't want to accommodate men who are tough, that believe in the sovereignty of God in their pain. They only want to mollycoddle you. Mollycoddle you. They only want you to be something you're not. They only want you to be a man that runs away from challenges. But we have to be different. And I believe we can be different. I know a few tough men of God. I'm inspired by so many men in the world 
But I want to be inspired by men of God in London. I want to see toughness in men of God in London. I want to see a willingness to go through the pain because they know it's going to save souls. I'm inspired by a very young man that's here today. I'm inspired by Mafaro. This guy's not even a disciple yet. He's taken on one of the biggest challenges of his life with a grin on his face. This is a man that understands what it is to be tough through adversity. What about you guys, the men of God? My challenge for you is simple. Thank God every single day for your challenges. Thank Him for the struggles that He has caused or allowed you to go through. Show your appreciation for God's sovereignty and pain. Let us be men who are tough and not men who are mollycoddled. To God be the glory. Amen. Let's give a round of applause to our brothers Kobe and Tosin. That was an incredible job, guys. Thank you so much. Brothers, it's an honor to be standing again in front of you here. But the last time I was in front of you, brothers, was the winter workshop, where I gave you a challenge. I asked you, no, God asked you to read the Bible in a year. I want to see a show of hands of men who were man enough to do that. One, two, three, four, five. Out of a room full of men. That's either you don't take me seriously or you don't take the word of God seriously. This is a tool that gives you power. This is a tool that gives you strength. Now don't worry, there's still six months left of the year, you can get that in. That's what the ICCM have to do, they have to read the Bible in six months. So if you want to catch up and Colby and Michael are getting their masters done and we're going to get that down in London, they get the job started. But when I was studying the Bible, I saturated myself with the word of God. I gained faith. I gained strength and I gained godly power. Power to resist temptation, a deep love for God, a deep awe of God and a deep fear of God. It's the word of God that does that. God is looking for men like Eleazar who took on the whole of the Philistine army with his hand frozen to the sword. It only takes one man with a sword to stand against an entire army. One man to take out the whole of UCL. One man to take out the whole of Queen Mary. To take on the whole of London if their hand is frozen to the word of God. Men who know the Bible, turn to Acts 9. It says in verse 19, Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Now we know it's not at once because he went to Arabia for three years and then he started to preach. But let's keep on going. It says, all those who heard him were astonished and asked, isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. Where was Paul preaching? In the synagogue. Who is he preaching to? Jews. These were men who knew their scriptures. These were men who since the age of five were studying the scriptures of the Old Testament. Studying the prophets. Studying the farms. Studying the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible. They knew these books inside out. Yet Paul was a man that knew the word of God and was passionate about it. Not only knew the Bible but loved the Bible. And he was able to stand in front of those men that knew the word of God and baffled them, bemused them, dazzled them by not only showing through his experiences and they didn't care about his experiences. They didn't care that he had been blinded. They didn't care that Ananias had come and taken off the scales from his eyes. They didn't care about that. They probably wouldn't even believe him if, if he had told him. What he did to prove that Jesus is the Messiah 
the Son of God, is to use the Scriptures from the Old Testament. Things that they had been reading for their whole life, but they missed the point. They missed why the entire Bible was written, staring at it blankly for their entire life. How many of us can relate to that? How many of us stood there, growing up in a religious home, looking into the Word of God, totally letting it go over their head? Until a Paul came up to us, a man that knew the Word of God, a man that loved the Word of God, a man that saturated himself with the Word of God. If you want to be a man that can convert other men, other men that already know the Word of God, you need to love the Word of God. You need to let it spread through your veins. The Jews must have been embarrassed. Imagine, they must have been so embarrassed being shown not only that, that they were wrong, but that they were really wrong. And that they had killed the man that they were wrong about. They were so embarrassed, in fact, that they chased him down and made plans to kill him. It says, it says after many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews to kill him. They suffered Paul for many days, sitting there, steaming, baking up, trying to figure a way of how to kill him. But Paul constantly used the Old Testament scriptures, not only to support his teachings, but to give them authority. To give his teachings authority. He quotes and paraphrases the Old Testament 183 times throughout his teachings, throughout his sermons. He used it in sermons. He used it in D times. He used it for his evangelism. He used it during his good news sharing. If you want to impact like Paul impacts the world, you need to be a man that knows the Bible. My challenge to you brothers is can you prove that Jesus is the Messiah using the Old Testament? Can you do that? Are you a man that knows the Bible? So when a Muslim comes up to you in the streets and will tell you a thousand different things about why you are wrong and staring in the face of your God and insulting him, you can show him from those very scriptures that they think that they know and you can prove that Jesus is the Messiah. Can you stand in the face of a Jewish man that knows the Old Testament inside out and prove that Jesus is the Messiah? Can you stand in the face of an atheist and show him how all the prophecies came together because you know the word of God? Because you love the Word of God. If you are not reading the Word of God, you do not love God. So God be the glory. And then my brothers, let's give a round of applause to um, my brothers who have come before us tonight. I'm going to be talking about men that move the Almighty. The most important person you're ever going to have to move is the Almighty God. Please be, moved, please be going to Acts chapter 18, verse 9. You know, they, they say they have dialed a prayer for atheists now. You call a number, it rings and rings and rings, but nobody ever answers. Let's not be like that, brothers. Let's not be like atheists, amen? Acts chapter 18, verse 9, the Bible says, One night the Lord stood, stood, spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one's going to attack and harm you. Because I have many people in this city. No, Jesus had many people in the city of Corinth. And Jesus had many people in the city of London today. Our church today is about 150, 60 people. I refuse to believe that's the number of people belonging to God in London. I refuse to believe there's only 80 people belonging to God in London. We are the chosen one. We are handpicked by God. We are the most... Special people, the most important prison, the most privileged people in all of London. With, with great res- privilege comes great responsibility. I want to call us tonight, God. Every single one of us need to take the responsibility to get this church going for God. 
to get everybody that belongs to God into the church of God. Amen? We need to learn to move the Almighty to move our ministries. We're going to have two quick points tonight. First one, when should we pray? Go to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, we're going to be looking at um, verse 32. Verse 32, the Bible says, That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at his door. And Jesus healed many with various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house and went to a solitary place where he prayed. You know, interesting here, that Jesus was in a place called Capernaum. Capernaum was a, was a, a city with 1,500 people. The Bible says there, in verse 33, the whole town gathered at the door. 1,500 people gathering at the door. How do you like that? And you have to deal with all their issues. Someone who's bleeding and their blood is coming out of all, their head and everywhere to heal them. Someone with all these smelly diseases with no cures for. Some demons. Incredible demons they had to get rid of. Jesus did all that. Now Jesus was a man who worked incredibly hard for God. We've got to respect those who work incredibly hard for God. But think about that. Think about brother Michael Williamson. Who stands in the gap here day after day after day. For the last nine years working hard for God. How did he do it? How did Jesus do this? He knew by himself he could do nothing. He knew that it was God who gave him the, 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 the strength to do what he did. He remembered the prayers he did before. That gave him the, the belief to keep going back to God over and over again. Jesus worked hard in prayer every day so that he could work hard for God every day. We must imitate Jesus' prayer life to have the life of impact that he had. We're never going to have it otherwise. My brothers, how much more do we need the prayer than the Son of God? <laughs> how much more do we need it? How early are we getting up to pray? That's very important. The Bible says here, Jesus got up. It doesn't say he woke up. Everybody wakes up and then everybody gets up. The difference in your Christian life is getting up, not waking up. Wake up before everybody else. Get up before everybody else. Get up early than your wife. Get up early than the discipling partner. Get up early than the lost. Get up early than everybody else in London. give Satan a foothold. Ephesians 4.29 says, do not give Satan a foothold. When we don't pray, we give Satan a foothold. That's all he needs, a foothold. Satan can do a lot of damage in our lives in one day. Don't give our enemy a foothold. The battle begins anew every day. Yesterday's prayers are not going to help you today. Every day you got to get up and fight the battle because that's what Jesus did. got to be a man of God. We can't do God's work without God's help. Second point. How should we pray? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 5, my brother. Yes, Hebrews chapter 5. How should we pray to our God in heaven? Verse 7, the Bible says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death. He was heard because of His reverence Submission! Jesus was a perfect example in every way, wasn't he not? He was a perfect example of how to pray. Jesus prayed like a man. Like the Lion of Judah that he was. Jesus didn't pray like a pussycat. Like a house cat. He prayed like a lion. 
five miles. <laughs> a lion could stand here tonight and roar and all his wives could hear it in the south of London. <laughs> That's how high a, war, a lion roars. You know, it saddens me when other religions are seen as more prayerful than the, the true church of God. It saddens me when the, when the Muslim faith prays five times a day and we don't pray five times a day. We need to be setting the pace, not a religion, that's not based on the truth. You know what? Satan is not scared of the prayers of house cats. <laughs> He's not scared of the prayers of house cats. God is not inspired by the scares of prayers of house cats. God's inspired by Jesus-like prayers. Guys, it's time to get outside and pray. Can't pray like a man inside when you're cooked up. You don't see, you see a lion in a cage in the zoo. He's not a real lion. You see a lion out in the open. He's a lion. And he knows he's a lion. We gotta get out. It's summertime. The living is easy. We gotta get out and pray to our God in the mornings. I love to pray. I've got a prayer spot with my car. I pray in my car every morning, but my spot, I have my spot. I go there and I know before I go this is gonna be a battle. I know I gotta get myself prepared for it. So what I do is that I read a few scriptures, read a few inspiring quotes about prayer, just to get me going. To get me going for prayer. Have a prayer spot, guys. Have a prayer spot. I'm looking at Jesus' prayer life in the moment. He prayed a lot outside. Most of his prayers were actually outside. The other thing about Jesus is that he wasn't afraid to travel to pray. He could travel for an hour. There was no Ubers in Jesus' day. He had to walk. Walk for an hour, pray for an hour or two, come back, walk for another hour or two, be filled with the Holy Spirit, and do the Word of God. That's how Jesus did it, that's how we have to do it today, my brothers. My brothers, we gotta give prayer the priority and importance it deserves in our lives. If we don't give God priority, He will not give us priority. If we ignore God, He will ignore us. He won't do anything in our lives. Well, the Bible says, Hebrews 11 6. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. A lack of faith displeases God. A lack of prayer displeases God. Displeases is kind of a, a softish word. I looked at other words like displease. A lack of prayer disgusts God. A lack of prayer enrages God. A lack of prayer exasperates God. Because God is thinking, Why aren't my people praying to me? The people I've called, the men I've called, why don't they pray to me? Because if we don't pray like Jesus, we'll sin a lot. I'm a sinful beast without prayer. Every sin in the Bible I can do the same day without prayer. I need prayer. The other thing, we need to pray specific prayers. If we don't pray specific prayers, how will we know when God answers? I was reading about a great guy called George Muller. George Muller lived in the 19th century. He was a prayer warrior. Listen to what he did. He recorded more than 50,000 answered prayers in his journals. 30,000, he said, were answered the same day. So listen, I bought myself a prayer journal. And I wrote in it today how God used me today. How God struck me today because of my prayer. I made a decision, I'm going to get that journal and, 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 and fill it up every day with God. How God has used me. Something about Muller, he lived until the age of 92. This is in the 19th century. He actually lived almost the whole 19th century, if you like. He was he, born early, he, he lived late. Why did God keep him alive until 92? So that he could pray! Because there's no other one praying like he prayed! He wasn't even a disciple, guys. He didn't know the truth like we know the truth today! 
You know, in the last six, five, six days in London, there's been five killings. Yeah. In Barnet, where myself and Sean Corrigan live, yeah. just a few minutes away, a man in his 30s was, three people were stabbed, a man in his 30s were dead, died. Now, these are all young men. These men could have changed the world for God. They could have changed London for God. We must pray for London. I want to share quickly about a few guys. Great guy coming tomorrow night called Samuel. Please pray for me. He's a single professional. Works in the city. Came along, studied the Bible before he wants to come back again. I want to pray in particular for my brother Sean in, in Ireland. My brother Sean is 71. He's had a series of illnesses in his life for over 50 years. Well, I rang him a few days ago. I talked to him. I had talked to him about God before. But this time he was different. You know? This time he's like, I'm fed up at the Catholic Church. I'm fed up at the born again churches. I'm fed up at churches. I want to join your church. Wow. And then we got talking. He said, I want to be baptized. God was telling me that he's answering my prayers. God answered prayers. In conclusion tonight, God, I want to give you a challenge. We must pray for an hour a day. We must pray like a lion for an hour a day. Out of that, out of that hour, I challenge you to set aside 15 minutes. To pray to save a lost soul. Write down the people you know. Write down your friends, families, workmates, colleagues. Write them all down and pray for them. Pray for them. And God will answer our prayers. He will do it. Let's pray for fruit that will last. Let's not pray to people to hang around a few weeks. Pray for the likes of Luke Slow, who rose up. They're the kind of prayer we, we need to do. Finally, I want to re- read out a, a prayer quote from our, our father in the faith, Kip McKean. Of ultimate necessity for all of us is fervent prayer unseen in our day. Only zealous prayer will allow God to empower, embolden, and employ each of us to fulfill our individual destiny and thus this global proclamation. To God be the glory. I don't know about you, but that was incredible. Let's give a round of applause for Martin Scott and all the brothers so far. You know, it's so awesome to see Martin Scott preach because it makes me think of, wow, how was the former movement? Making me see like a veteran preach that way. Things like, wow, this is what we need in the church of God. And I give you a number today, 4211. What does 4211 mean? That is the number of baptisms the men have had this year. That is eight baptisms in total in six months. That is 60 men producing eight baptisms. And you know, I was thinking, wow, I've been called to preach today on men who baptize men. And what do I do? I go on Google. Okay, how many baptisms are there in the world? And there is no reference of the amount of baptisms in the world. But what is the internet that says there are 3.6 million gay people in Britain? There are 250 million LGBTQ people in the world. And there are only eight baptisms in the London International Christian Church for the men. It says one million people came out of the closet this year to be gay. And I ask myself, what is the issue? What is the issue? And I realize that there is a lack of desperation. There is a lack of desperation in my own heart. And if it's in my heart, I look at my brother and say, well, how desperate are we to save people to come out from the closet but into the kingdom of God? And because there's a lack of focus, then there will be a lack of souls to be saved. Turn your Bibles with me to Acts 16. 
Acts 17. And the question we're going to ask ourselves today is, what what kind of man am I? What kind of man does God want me to be? What kind of man does God call me to be? I'm so inspired by the lesson so far today. And it's, it's time that we pull off the disguise of the 21st century and look at the real demons attacking our country. In Acts 17, the Bible says, in verse 16, Paul is in Athens says, While Paul was waiting in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. When I look into the word, greatly distressed, it means Paul was burning zealously with anger. The Greek says that when he looked at the city, he said, Whoa, this takes me up. That there's a righteous indignation in the man of God here, and he comes into Athens and he sees a lot of things that are ungodly. And I ask myself, why? Why was it ticked off? You know, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, the 10, don't turn here. Paul said, Do I mean that a sacrifice offered to an idol is anything? Or that an idol is anything? He says, no. But the sacrifice of pagans are offered to demons. Not to God. And I do not want to be participants with demons. Paul was picked up because he saw like, if I am not angry about the demons I see, then that means I am a participant with demons. And when we are baptizing men, it means that we are not desperate to drive out demons and we want to be participants with demons. You know, a guy once said, he was in a school one day, and he told his teacher, I'm going to get baptized on Sunday. And he said, okay, but, but he said, okay, but I need to get my goggles. He said, okay, well, what do you need goggles for for baptism? And the kid said, so that I can see my sins being washed away. How do you see your sins being washed away? You know, it's so inspiring for a kid to think about, I want to see my sins being washed away. Imagine how many sins in this world need to be washed away. I want to show you what it means to be a man who baptizes men. Chapter 8 and verse 4. It says in verse 5, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. But with shrieks and pure spirits came out of many. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. You know, when demons are driven out, there is joy in the city. When demons are living in this country, there is joy in this country. You know, I get so ticked off when I walk out of Victoria Station. My route to UCL. And I look above and I see a great building with two flags flying on that building. And I see the LGBT flag being flown high, high and wide. And you might be thinking, why am I saying this to you? Because I want to make you angry. I want to make you really take up at the situation that your city is boasting about sin. Your city is boasting about 
idol worship. Yours is boasting about demons. And until the men of the London church become the real church of England, they will always be participants of human change. I believe that the London church is the real church of England and you are both in that church. And until we really realize that eight baptisms is ridiculous, then the EMC will not be radical. I preach from a perspective of someone who's going to lead a church. And I, and I saw being angry about this. And I was like, man, how ticked up am I at the state of the world? How ticked up my mind about my neighborhood. And I say it. Could have done something radical. In verse 9. So now from time a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in that city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that it was someone great. You know what he's doing nowadays? Boasting that they're great. Where are the disciples who boast that God is great? And all the people both high and low gave in their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. I believe there's only one great power of God, that's Jesus Christ. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the goodness of the kingdom of God, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized. What did it take for sorcerers to get baptized? Just proclamation of the word of God. You know, we think it's so difficult to get a baptism. I believe when we are desperate for proclamation, that the demons will be desperate to believe. When we are desperate for proclaiming that there is only one God, and that is Jesus Christ, demons will leave. Yeah. And until we drive our demons, we, put, we take and risk our own salvation. Philip the Evangelist was called the Evangelist of I believe personally because he was a man who radically proclaimed. We know that Samaria was known for, what Samaria was known for was that they, they focused only on the four books of Moses and Moses. And everything else was their own ideas and traditions of sorcerers and everything around them. That shows me a religious thing. But if, if we all know the story of the Ethiopian, right? Yeah. And if you look at the last verse, verse 40 of chapter 8, it says, Philip, however, appeared at Athens and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until it reached Caesarea. Do you know what Athens means? Athens is the same place, the same God in the book of 1 Samuel, where the Philistines captured the ark of God and put it next to Ashdod. Yeah. 